Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. My name is Nick Argyris and this week I'm looking for the best literary nonsense to help me are two literal high school English teachers. That's, I think I emphasized the wrong word. Right. Uh, I think you should, should have gone for like the silly You should, you should emphasize high. Right. I think I did it. I did it bad. So, um, mm-hmm. all right. You guys talk now. Okay. Yeah. My name is Joe Holshue. I am literally a high school English teacher. <laughs> And Nick, if you're looking for a book of literary nonsense, I brought a very silly book. It is, of course, I shouldn't say of course, it is a a literary nonsense classic. It is The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, written by Douglas Adams in 1979, and it is very, very nonsensical. And silly, I keep keep wanting to say silly. It is silly. I don't know if literary nonsense is silliness. I'm sure Ian will have something to say about it. cut him off. Uh, (laughs) Nick. (laughs) To you, Joe, and to the lit heads, a very to you as well. If you're wondering why I'm trumpeting like a rhinoceros, it's not because I'm turning into a rhinoceros. It's because this week I read Eugene Ionesco's play Rhinoceros, in which people turn into rhinoceri. (laughs) Oh, God. I have a couple thoughts on this. First of all, when you get a rhinoplasty, when you get a nose job, it's called a rhinoplasty, (laughs) which I think is mean. That's good. Yep. May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely (laughs) enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. (laughs) Who who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. Hey, Litheads, I'm recording on a new device today, and um, I don't know if I'm going to sound any different, but mm. the one fun thing about this new device, guys, you might be interested to hear about this, is that- I'm interested to hear about this. Is that it actually shows the volume levels that you guys are projecting as well. Um, okay. So <laughs> I'd like to just uh, call out that good levels over here on my mic, uh, Ian. Mm-hmm. Ian, yours is just excellent and normal. Oh, no. And then Joe- it looks like you might have been eating your microphone. It's so loud. <laughs> I, <laughs> let me let me back up. How is it now? Like if I if I hang out here, it's that's better. Like normally, I treat my microphone that's like good. an ice cream cone that's yeah. about to melt. Like that's how close I usually have it to my mouth. Like it's a robot dick. You just never mind. <laughs> just gobble 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 gobble. gobble, gobble. <laughs> I said it like a robot. <laughs> Oh, oh yeah nick i have increasingly more and more students that listen to this show i'd really appreciate it if you cut out the robot dick joke oh yeah the the respect is just gone well luckily you make enough from the show that you can quit your that's job. true it's true i don't need i don't need my teaching anymore here's a question um did y'all hear me hear about this hear about this um big news in the publishing world we we've mm. we do this every now and again i didn't um, hear about this did you hear about the big news? Joe, hey, it. Joe. Uh, yes, I'm Mr. It. Holshue. Um, mm-hmm. Could you please tell us what the big news is? There was a, a attempted merger between two huge publishing houses. I believe one was HarperCollins. Was the other one Penguin? Um, Penguin Random House and Sh- Simon & Schuster. I Simon love the Schuster. idea. I love the phrasing you used. 
attempted murder because until you got to the just sound, like, I thought you were going to say yeah. attempted murder. And I was like, <laughs> where? We saw different headlines. Is this guy going no. for a Nancy Pelosi topical joke right now or oh. what? There was an attempted merger between these two publishing houses, which was struck down. It was not allowed. Some court somewhere was like, nah, we're actually against oligarchies and monopolies, which yeah. I don't, I can't believe they there's a court the somewhere one. that still says something <laughs> like that. Well, it was really interesting because um, Penguin Random House uh, in the last 10 years or so bought uh, one of their other competitors. And so now there are five. There are five big publishing houses. Um, I don't know them uh, off the top of my head, but Random House is trying to buy Simon and Schuster and they they set up a deal that it was going to be twenty one point. No, sorry. Two point one seven five billion dollars. The acquisition, which is which is a major for, for books. I mean, yeah. Twitter, whatever. But Twitter, books, guys. that's surprising. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, one of the interesting facts that I, I pulled out of the New York times article I read uh, about half an hour ago was if the deal doesn't go through penguin random house has to pay Simon and Schuster $200 million. Amazing. Which I want to make a deal like that. Promised money. Type of it's thing? like the terms of the deal that like yeah. we, we will buy you. And if we don't, we have to give you this massive. It's like, does that go right to the CEO or <laughs> probably? <laughs> probably. Uh, it actually it goes to the company of which Simon and Schuster is a subsidiary. What I was reading was, um, uh, the, obviously there were a lot of people kind of testifying against the merger. Stephen King, um, f- uh, friend of the show, is one of them. Uh, Stephen King, if you're hearing this, we love you. We'd love for you to be on our podcast. Stephen King is published by Simon and Schuster, but he was testifying against them to say, "No, don't do this." Uh, but the, the 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 folks who were in favor of the merger were, were the, their argument was, "Listen, Amazon has a monopoly on book selling. To fight that, oh god, there needs to be a monopoly on book publishing." That feels like logic, um, like logic one hundred two at your local university. Somebody needs to and, take because that they, does not feel like it's going to solve the problem. And then they followed up with, um, "We know because we talked to them." <laughs> <laughs> we asked them and they said this is exactly they said this is good um, for all of us the 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 um you're you're right to say this is not a common thing but uh this victory uh in what is essentially an antitrust case suggests that maybe maybe oh. the department of justice will be able to go after some monopolies further this kind of starts to set a precedent so um, it's lovely. interesting it's got ripple effects beyond the publishing world but Welcome, Lit Heads, to You Don't Know Lit, a weekly, or as we call it, Strongly Podcast. For every week, we pick a theme, or you do, through recommendation, of course. And Ian and Joe, two qualified high school English teachers, present their strongest arguments possible (laughs) for why I should read the books. I don't know why that's so funny. You they know, are, Nick, they are I, good arguments. They are good arguments. This is the best they can do, Litheads. This is all. This is all they got. We have reached the this ceiling. Is it. <laughs> the limit every of week their we hit the ceiling. They're bumping their heads every week. And this the truth is, teachers and we hit the ceiling on like episode seven, and we have just been scraping our heads against that, <laughs> that ceiling. Our, and just to upset one of them, we <laughs> pick a winner. And we have some show rules to keep us on track. Rule number one: Litheads only unavoidable spoilers, and that also goes for. Ian and Joe. Uh, rule number two, omit needless words, Joseph. And rule number three, only winning matters. Um, Joseph. And of course, we have our shadow rules, which suggest that the loser uh, is required to pay the winner $200 million, um, but right. only if the loss... <laughs> If the loss is in a court of law. So that, that okay. one's never been activated yet. It's going to be the longest episode ever. I fully, I fully <laughs> expect we'll get there at some point, and one of us will be very rich, and the other will be 
buried under a mountain of dust. <laughs> yeah, more else. litigation updates. Can I use come. a credit card to pay my? <laughs> <laughs> Can I get points? <laughs> Joe, your time started thirty-five oh, seconds. Oh, Nick, ago. don't panic. Seconds before Earth is demolished to make way for a galactic freeway, Arthur Dent is plucked off the planet by his friend Ford. Prefect. Uh, Ford Prefect's actually an alien who's there doing research. It's a long story. Along the way, they are thrown out of airlocks, rescued by the two-headed president of the galaxy in a stolen spaceship. They make friends with the paranoid android and discover the answer to the meaning of life, the universe, and everything. It's not the original literary nonsense, but it's awfully good literary nonsense, and it's a lot to fit into a 200-page book. Was this theme recommended? Yes, it was recommended. Uh, This is... A recommendation from Seth H. Seth Haller. Thank you, Seth. Um, Thanks, Seth. This was a good Seth. theme. This is a good theme because it's it's kind of outside the wheelhouse a bit. And mm-hmm. and Ian, explain what that means. The book, that type of book, the book, Ian. nonsense literature. <laughs> Please. Um, I think it's literature that I think it's it's um literature that deliberately plays with our sense of. Kind of what you should expect, and and um, oftentimes uh, what what your what 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 you kind of your mind fills in the gaps, uh, and then it it subverts those expectations. And it's also it's also usually linguistic. It's really focused on sort of linguistic play. It's Alice um, in Wonderland. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, yeah, right. A lot of children's books are nonsense mm-hmm. literature, which um, made choosing a choosing a book for this week difficult. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of a lot of nonsense literature and like children's poetry. Okay, well, don't be a weirdo and bring children's poetry. <laughs> I didn't. Uh, instead, uh, should I talk about my book? Uh, a little pushy, but I guess so. Yeah, go for it. I mean, I did just set myself up. So, a little pushy. Beringer is a drunken bum who lives in a small French town. One day, drinking with his uptight friend Jean, Beringer sees a rhinoceros. Then he sees it again. Or was it a different rhinoceros? Before long, the town is uh, overrun by rhinos. People are choosing to turn into rhinos right and left. Rhinocerizing is widely accepted, and Beringer is left alone. I read Eugene Ionesco's supremely absurd, nonsensical play, The Rhinoceros. Is rhinocerizing a word from the player? Did you make that okay, up? Okay, it's not rhinoceri, right? I believe <laughs> the plural, the plural can be either rhinoceroses or rhinoceri. Mm-hmm. Let me Google Real it. Real octopus's situation. Yeah, people always make fun of that. Like it's, uh, they use it for everything, you know? Mm-hmm. Like octopi. Oh, you said mm-hmm. that. Nope. Yeah. Let me think of a different example. Oh, I believe both fudge. are acceptable. No, I'm oh, wrong. Wait. Oh, yeah. I'm wrong. Because what is it? Of the, because of the Greek root, the correct plural is rhinoceroses. It is not rhinoceri. Okay. Mm-hmm. What is the I grouping? What is the one that? Well, do you know what I mean? What is the one that's side of the head? And there's a big old uh, horn. What can you use that for? Octopi is that pretty much it? No, sure. no. You can use it for for alumni, mm-hmm. foci, like like the two focuses. Yep. You would have a yep. foci. Yep, foci is a word. Oh yeah. Did you not know this? <laughs> that's amazing. I, no. I prefer Guys, I prefer focuses you what I because don't know. foci sounds like I'm swearing a little bit. Mm-hmm. Fungi. If it's an e, maybe it doesn't do the i. Do you know what I mean? I think it depends a lot on where the word comes from. It depends on the vo- on the vowel before the s. So rhinoceros. It sounds like you both just oh, made those know. up. And no, I know. Know. I'm looking, <laughs> I am looking at a, at a, a, a blog that that's called Linguists in the Wild, <laughs> Wikipedia, <laughs> and it explains that uh, when you have an os ending then I plurals don't work. 
Let me tell you about this book. This book is kind of like a slow burn. If you've ever seen a, a genre of film I like to call the zombie flick, oh, um, sure. it, it has some kind of re, uh, recognizable rhythms. So let me walk you through these rhythms. Bossa Nova. Yeah, Bossa Nova. It starts with a loud blast of Bossa Nova music, and then we switch turn to big band. Uh, so, so the whole first scene of this play is just introducing characters, laying the foundation, and we get the first hints that there is a catastrophe coming. Namely, a rhinoceros runs past offstage, and then a different rhinoceros runs past, or maybe it's the same one, and it mooshes a cat. It kills a cat. Oh, no. Just tramples. Steps on a cat? Yeah. Nick's not going to like that. Nick and this is important. Cats. The cat, the cat is important because it's tangible proof that the rhinoceros existed because right. it's you can, like you can see cat guts. Well, I am. Um, I don't think there's cat guts on stage. Probably really? This is a play. Eyeballs. Well, but like off stage, they probably had. Cat well, guts no, there's like a, there's like a, there's like a, the, 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 the lady whose cat it is. She, she brings the, the body on stage, oh. but it's not like, like gory or anything. I heard the eye shot out and somebody slipped on it. <laughs> Uh, with a play like this, I wouldn't be surprised. So this whole first scene, this whole first, like the first, like 30 pages of this are just establishing the people, the, the setting and the way that they're responding to this unexpected rhinoceros sighting. And then another one. Was that a marble? <laughs> I got to say, uh, Ionesco really missed a, an, an opportunity with that. So, OK, we got a dead cat and a lot of question marks. A lot of question proceed? marks. The next scene we kind of pick up like the next day and the next scene, we don't really kind of suspect that people are turning into rhinos until the end of it. But by the end of the next scene, we've moved from there are rhinoceroses in this small French town to we're getting like a play by play. They used to be people. Mm. Um, is this, yeah. is this a book that's uh, how long is this book? Is this like a book that's like, you could give it away pretty quickly. It's pretty short. It's, yeah. it's pretty, it's pretty tight. Uh, it's like a, like a hundred pages and it's a play. So it, it reads faster. Ooh, I will slow uh, down my questions. Then. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually we see somebody turning into a rhinoceros on stage and then rhino, rhino, rhino apocalypse, I think would be the correct phrase. That's a group um, of rhinos. The rhinos, yeah. the rhinos rule. Uh, the rhinos do take over. I would like to see how they do it, like actually do it on stage because this is performed. So I want to yeah. see somebody transform to a rhino on stage. They don't have special effects. They don't have CGI. Yeah, I think so. I, I, as I was reading, this is a huge question because there is a scene where a guy keeps going into the bathroom and when he comes out, he is more rhino esque. Um, oh. And the stage directions are very clear, like his skin is more green. Um, oh, it doesn't happen all at once. No, it's a gradual thing. Um, yeah, we get to see it over great. the course of, of maybe 20 pages or so. Um, but I, it's got to be really fast, really fast um, makeup work offstage. And yeah. probably just got a paint gun that they hit him with. Very like deliberate because his voice also changes. There's also, also going to be like very deliberate when you come on stage. This time you're going to be speaking even more harshly because we also get these. Yeah. The play says, hey, he's guys, speaking. quick question. Yeah. What's mm -hmm. the worst possible place you could be when your hands turn into rhino hands? Because <laughs> rhino hands are big. They're like yeah. elephant feet. Playing the piano. Oh, no. Petting your kitty. Petting a little <laughs> cat. I was going to say at the That's urinal. That's good. Yeah, I was going to say going to the bathroom as well. Yours yeah. was uh, <clears throat> much better, uh, Ian. Thank you. Thank you. So, okay. We got a dead cat and a lot of question marks. <laughs> That's the story. We, uh, we begin with the rhinoceros sightings. We end with rhinos taking over the world. Mm -hmm. This is amazing. Um, it reminds me of two things. It reminds me of the metamorphosis, first of all. And it reminds me of like, 
it, not the Twilight Zone, but there was a 90s show called The Outer Limits in which people like voluntarily changed into like this alien thing. I'm thinking of a very specific right, episode right. of TV that maybe only <laughs> I saw. But like, <laughs> well, the Simpsons. So the Simpsons did do a rhinoceros episode, uh, but it was actually did the ostrich. They? Um, and uh, they've come out and said that uh, UNESCO actually stole the the plot from them as opposed to vice I, versa. So, oh, yeah, no, is this that is a lie? It's a lie. It's a lie. It was a lie. It's it's fun because the rhythms are familiar, um, kind of degrading into chaos. Um, is it like happy chaos? I know a cat died, but like you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, but other than, other than the cat dying, Nick, I'm sure it's totally happy. Is it um, pretty playful? Or there's a mm, there's a scene where there's a scene where a rhinoceros shows up. And just steps on a set of stairs and breaks it. Okay. Stairs. The rhinos Boom. take over the radio station at one point and are broadcasting. This is funny, right? Ian, right. this is a funny book. So it's it's funny. It's funny and it's dark. The the a way dark that, humor. Yeah. The way that people respond to the seeing the rhino is primarily, oh, would you look at that? Or what do you know? So they're from the Midwest. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be. Oh, hey I there. mean, really, kind of. Um, while like people are are hashing out in the first scene, was that a rhinoceros we saw? There is a guy, a, a, a self-described logician, a guy who like does logic. He was trying to teach an old guy about how to do logic, and he's clearly unqualified. And he gets the old man to con- uh, through logical kind of articulations, uh, uh, contortions. He gets the old man to argue that his dog is actually a cat. Um, so this is kind of happening as a back channel, as a side story. While on stage, everyone's like, the cat is dead. Is it a real rhino? Um, over here, the logician and his friend are trying to prove that a dog is a cat by means of it. So I would say it's it's dark humor. Um, you can't have a play about people turning into rhinoceroses mm. and have it be serious. You just can't. I feel like we learned a lot today about plurals. Yeah, <laughs> right. If you got nothing else from my presentation today, um, mm-hmm. rhinoceroses. I have some questions. They're entirely about the plot because I'm Great. I'm interested and Great. I don't want I, I know there's some hard spoiler rules here that Nick throws around. But um, number one, you have alluded to the fact that everybody in town eventually turns into a rhinoceros. Yeah. And number two, you have alluded to the fact that people have a choice whether or not uh-huh. they turn into a rhinoceros. Uh-huh. What? What's up with that? Like, like I want to know, like, under what circumstances would I choose to be a rhinoceros? Yeah, thank you for listening. I like that answer. Oh, yeah, An- you got to answer him, Ian. Feels nice to be listening. Don't to lie for this once. time. Okay, I'll <laughs> stop lying. Um, so one of the spookiest things about this book is the way that people pretty quickly accept a few key points about turning into a destructive, mindless rhino. Uh, one, people, people accept. People accept. Yeah, this is just those rhinos. They were expressing themselves, and and they deserve to express <laughs> themselves. Two. This sounds like what people say about naughty students. <laughs> it's like, wow, he's just he's just speaking his own truth. Right. Like, going no, he's through the, ass. <laughs> the second the second thing that people quickly uh, accept is that being a rhino isn't really a problem. It's really since you are expressing yourself, it's a good thing. And in fact, you are living your best life and so on and so forth. Uh, three, okay. not only Stop is it kind truth. of passively OK, but it is the logical thing to do because so many people are doing it. It's a. I mean, <laughs> if everyone is turning this? into a rhino, could it be? And last, not only is it logical, but it's 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 the best. It's the best plan. 
Um, because because <sighs> rhino rhino rhinocerizing is is um, beautiful and um, yeah. inspiring. Oh man, can we can this we talk about sounds... overt messages yet? Yes. Well, <laughs> this sounds like gaslighting. Like, isn't this like the exact steps that you go through when somebody's gaslighting you? Where it's like, well, it's kind of weird. That doesn't seem right. Well, if it's right, it's okay. And now everybody's on board. It's just just an uh, yeah. Is it a metaphor, Ian? Oh, it's maybe is it ever? Okay, so Fuck yeah, uh, this is based on uh, this is this is it's focused on mob mentality. It's focused on how kind okay. of we 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 train ourselves Could be applied to, to anything. Yeah, we can. Yeah. And so, like a lot of criticism of this play has said, "Hey, it's talking about this historical moment. It's talking about this cultural trend, like yeah. any number yep. of things." Um, way to, yeah, way to reach the you know multiple audiences right like all these people that are like no it's about the thing that i think it's about it's like, oh, <laughs> the, beauty, okay, cool. the beauty of it is he's written he's written this this story ionesco has written this story um that so kind of it's got such clean lines that you could insert instead of rhinoceros you could insert anything and it becomes much less funny and much more kind of oh so for him um uh, tiny tiny bit of background on uh, ionesco um who he is and, and what his deal was um, he grew up in Romania, uh, was born in 1909. So kind of grew up in Romania between world war one and world war two. And during this time, oh man, just what yeah. a, ter- can we just pause yeah, for how not, terrible that yeah. is? Yeah. Not hey, great. For, as far as times Jeez. to be a Romanian, maybe down there. <laughs> Let's list them the times, uh, uh, bottom five times to be a Romanian. It's just a fuck you sandwich, huh? <laughs> Poor guy. Um, did you like that first war? <laughs> <laughs> we'll love what's coming next. <laughs> <laughs> the ice cream is Romania. Um, during this time, during this this interwar period, um, he saw the rise okay. of fascism and anti-Semitism in yeah. Romania. And apparently Romanians really got into their, especially the anti-Semitism. They really, they really doubled yeah. down. They had a lot of different kind of secret societies that were specifically designed to be anti-Semite. One was called uh, the Iron Guard. Kanye West. Which... <laughs> Yeah, it's it's much like a talk Fam- about relevant, right? Famous Romanian. <laughs> Yay. Um, so one of the things that Ionesco saw was his teachers, like teachers of philosophy who he respected, using their lectures to like 70, 80, 100 students just to indoctrinate students into Nazism. They like, they took this bully pulpit. Like this was a huge widespread thing. It wasn't like, I think in the US we see maybe dominant cultural narratives say anti-Semitism is bad. But this is not what he was dealing with. He was dealing with the the mouthpieces of culture, the mouthpieces of society saying it was the Jews fault that everything yeah, bad happened. So yeah. and he describes specifically the process where he and his buddies who were not fascists, who were not anti-Semites, they would be hanging out trying to come up with arguments to dunk on the Nazis. And he says people, you would hear it. You could hear it. People would get to the point where one would say, and I, I don't I don't agree with them. But on a few points, I mean, if if you think about it, the Jews really were on a few, but I don't agree with them. And he says, Ionesco says, when you heard that, you knew in about three weeks, that guy was going to be a Nazi. That like start the timer, right? Start the timer. That guy, that guy has conceded a single point. He has taken the first step on a slippery slope to Nazism. And he calls it uh, a virus. He says that the ideology spreads virally. And so you ask about like the nature of, of the rhinocerization. People are 
choosing it, but they're also letting it in and they're also being infected by it. It's all happening at the same time. And he has like some some of the, the less funny bits are when we get to watch people, characters who we thought were cool kind of slip into rhinocerization. Oh, uh, not, yeah. not, if you look at it, not right. watching it happen, yeah. but I mean, we, we do get that. But but also like persuading themselves that these people aren't these rhinoceroses aren't that bad, that they are, in fact, in a way, beautiful and that I should go join them and be a rhinoceros, too. Ian, is are you um the the connection you made about his, you know, story of his Romania past? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that that's completely outside of the book, correct? Yeah. That's, there's or, n- or, or there, there's no hint of like it actually hinting towards anything right no no and that's and that's why i say this this i this, guess you guys kind of answered that before the story but. story kind of does like you could put in you could put in any kind of mob mentality yeah. idea right like like the green bay packers this season are terrible everybody agrees the green bay packers this season are terrible nobody believed it at first but boy all of a sudden aaron Rodgers showed up dressed like that emo guy and the crack started the show <laughs> I think potentially, Joe, I, I, think I don't like his hair. You may have lost me a bit, but, but <laughs> this like is all terrible attitude. <laughs> this is what I love about this story, because it's like a, it's almost like a thought experiment or, or a model that you could apply to any number of hateful ideologies. Yeah. It was written in it's 59. Really it was written 60 years, 70 years. 60 years oh, yeah. ago, 60 this is, several this is years ago, yeah. Yeah. It, it, was written, it was written 60 years ago and it feels fresh. It feels like this could be staged mm-hmm. today. It has had a remarkable um, kind of long stage history. Uh, the term rhinocerization has been used by Jewish scholars to describe this kind of nationalism thing that creeps oh, in. Wow. It's, really um, good. it's, it's yep. had this like star studded uh, stage history. So Lawrence Olivier played um, the, the, the guy, the last sane guy, uh, Behringer, um, Eli Wallach, who was Tuco in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, played this last sane man. Um, Zero Mostel played the uptight friend. Zero Mostel was in Filler on the Roof and Producers. Um, it's aged really well. And I think I think it's in part because we all want to hear ourselves in this main dude, the one who stands against rhinocerization. Um, we all want to imagine that's us. Whether or not yeah. we actually are that person, um, we want, we want that to be the case. And this is just in closing. This is our trope of the week. Yeah. I get a good clean drop from Joe. Go ahead, Joe. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, the trope of the week is the last sane man. Um, last yeah. of his kind. If you've, if you've read a little book, I like to call the road. You've got that in an apocalypse. The last people alive are, kind of standing by themselves. They, they represent humanity. And the genius of this play is that uh, it is absolutely bonkers. The, the play ends with rhinoceros heads kind of festooning the entire set. There's just rhinoceros heads hung all over the entire set. Um, and yet we see in ourselves that last of his kind, the last sane man. Um, we, we want to be, we want to be the one who doesn't give in to, to group think. Yeah, that sounds pretty great. And now I'm stressed out. It sounds great <laughs> and like it's. <laughs> Oklahoma. Oh, how many times? Oklahoma. I, I do need to know how many times we are allowed to sing the Oklahoma song next week. Um, I'm going to be like one, obviously three. Well, okay. Remember, we have we can we can only do it either up tuned a half a uh, a half a tone or 
two seconds of it because you know yeah. Simon and Schuster uh, are going to come after us. Who are they? Who wrote that? Excellent. Great. So you guys are going to bring books from Oklahoma. Why? Yeehaw. Why is that? Tell us. Why th- is that, Nick? It's probably it's birthday. It's birthday. Happy birthday, <laughs> Oklahoma. Happy birthday, Oklahoma. Really good. I mean, states that start with O's, name them. I'll go first. Oklahoma. Ohio. Ohio. Ooh, Nick, it's your turn. I said Ohio I said first. Ohio. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm super pumped. To, I, I'm excited to bring a book that I've had on my bookshelf for a long time, but have never had occasion to read. It is called Boomtown. It's got a long side t- subtitle. Prepare yourselves. Boomtown, the fantastical saga of Oklahoma City, its chaotic founding, its apocalyptic weather, its purloined basketball team, and the dream of becoming a world-class metropolis. And it's got like tornadoes and and basketball hoops on the cover and a guy on a horse. We got to go back to judging books by their covers. Um, That sounds great. I'm going to bring a book called Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, I've heard about this book. Um, It's kind of a true crimey, historical, investigation-y it's going to be weird and good and probably, hey guys, I think it's going to be a downer. There's <laughs> oh the Flower no. Moon by David Graham. Joe, I'll be honest, there's no way your book is going to be as good as Ian's. It, that uh, My book is incredibly it, famous and unlikely. loved by Ian's everyone. book sounded fucking awesome. Did you hear Ian's it? His book is written by some weird Romanian that was born between wars. Yeah, who was against Nazis. Don't if you Joe, if you don't like him. Yeah, Joe, can you testify the same thing about Douglas Fairbanks? Douglas Adams, guy? um he's <laughs> <laughs> never heard of him. Okay, what you, N- Nick. What? I brought the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, I've heard good things about that actually. <laughs> yeah, it's an amazing book. Uh, yeah, well, Ian's shit, book is Ian. like is like dark and deep and like a met like a huge extended metaphor. Um, my book is like kind of light and silly, but also pretty profound. Uh, Nick, you've heard things about the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. This is one of those books that surely would have permeated like the the thick membrane that exists between you and the literary world. <laughs> <laughs> Is it a, is it what a do you thick, know fleshy it? membrane? It's sinewy. <laughs> <laughs> you guys. Could we, could we um, use the word sinewy to describe this podcast, perhaps? I don't really know what it means. <laughs> so, Nick, what do you know about Hitchhiker's Guide? All right. So, this is one of those movies that you is kind of always Books. on in the background. Yeah, well, <laughs> I didn't read that, Joe. So, <laughs> tell you about the movie here. Listen up. <laughs> Listen, when you give uh-huh. Nick the mic, Nick goes where he wants. Yeah, we're talking about the movie almost immediately. Immediately. <laughs> I mean, we kind of like how you said almost off. immediately. You said three words before you said the word movie. <laughs> this is one of those. Right, from so, the I think it's like a kid. There's like a little kid that's traveling around in through the galaxy. I think uh-huh. is there a, like a book in it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is. It's it's actually a book called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah, yep. I have a visual memory. I don't really kn- haven't really watched the movie. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, I'm, I think I'm going to pause you right there because the movie is, I, I've never seen the movie, but I think it's pretty universally. Yeah. Bad. The movie oh, did not it's terrible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What? Uh, I, I'm going to um, look this up because I want to say it was maybe even a sci-fi movie like on, on the sci-fi mm-hmm. channel. Well, um, we aren't here to hash out what was better, the movie or the book, but the book, Nick, is so much better here. The, the book the book is not some weird like um, money grab published like shortly <clears throat> after Douglas Adams' death. Um, in fact, it's a beloved literary classic. Um, it was written in 1979. It <clears throat> has a bit of a 
cool publication history. Um, in fact, it didn't start as a book. Initially, Douglas Adams was just kind of like working around England as a writer, right? Like, like just kind of writing for a lot of media. Like he wrote for Doctor Who. He was a writer on Monty Python's yeah. Flying Circus. He's actually in a couple of like uh, the later Monty Python's Flying Circus sketches, right? Yeah, like he's got, Doug, he's got Douglas chops. Adams was just yeah. like a legendary. He, he's figure. got chops. He was just a working writer. Great. At a certain point, somebody approaches him to write like a weird little science fiction thing for BBC radio. So he's like, yeah, sure. Like, I've got this idea um, for like this thing called the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And he wrote as a, as a series of four radio episodes. Oh, first. cool. British fantasy and sci-fi authors are because the BBC exists and does radio stuff. Mm-hmm. They have like this amazing tradition of doing interesting. There's like there's like good radio stuff out there, yeah. and radio adaptation is still a big thing. And there's a big radio yeah. culture like in England and in the, in the UK. One of my favorite Neil Gaiman books was based on and what was originally a radio drama. It's it's so cool. This is some real hipster shit, guys. It, real oh, hipster yeah, shit. This is, this is primo. But there is like this rich tradition of radio and it also seems that like once you enter the I don't know. I don't know if I'd call it the literary elite, but once you enter a certain circle in England, like you're just going to work for the rest of your life in various circles. Like you're going to get invited on to quiz shows and comedy things, and you're going to write for radio and write novels, sure. etc. Um, so he wrote these four episodes, um, these kind of for this kind of silly little radio thing. It got a little bit of popularity. He converted it into a novel, and it took off um it's one of these books you know it's he's one of these guys where when you look at the best-selling writers in england of all time he's right behind jk rowling i I really want to know what the the premise of this book is because i genuinely don't yeah joe can you please explain the premise of the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy and do remember you have a (laughs) time limit (laughs) (laughs) all right so uh, let me try to give you the plot in broad strokes not yet there's a guy named arthur dent he's a human being like a normal human being One day he wakes up and they're trying to tear down his house because uh, they have to build a freeway. His house has been claimed by the government. They're going to tear it down to build a freeway. He gets upset about this. His friend comes over. They go to a bar and his friend, who he thinks is just a normal human being, but who's actually like an alien, is like, oh, don't worry about your house because actually the earth is going to be destroyed in like four minutes. In a coincidental turn of events, the Earth is going Uh to be destroyed to make room for an intergalactic freeway. Wait, do we have do we accidentally do nonsense books that are also apocalypse books? (laughs) Oh, no. If you call everybody turning into a rhino on apocalypse, I guess. Joe, Joe is an anti rhino, isn't it, Joe? Joe. Yeah. How do you mm-hmm. feel about turning into a rhino? Do you want to say something about the good points that they it make? Sounds, it sounds like when you turn into a rhino, it comes gently. Oh, is no. What it sounds like. I don't think there's anything wrong with rhinos. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> if you start trumpeting, I am out. No trumpeting allowed. So the, basically, Earth gets destroyed. Um, Arthur Dent and his friend, who is named Ford Prefect, which is the name of a car, escape Earth at the very last second. They get pitched up, uh, picked up hitchhiking on a passing freighter, and um, hilarity ensues. Oh, ha ha funny? Yeah, very ha ha funny. It's, za- it's zany, Nick. Oh, there wow. are hijinks. 
in this book. Really? There is shenanigans? a there are shenanigans. There hmm. is probably the highest density of jokes of maybe any book I've ever brought to this podcast. Like there's probably six jokes a page and they're like like joke jokes per square inch. Jokes PSI, jokes JPSI, per square yeah. inch. The it's, JPSI ratio is off a, the charts. Wow. It's it's a it's a funny zany like hijinksy book. Um that follows them that follows him as they go through space. Um, they meet like the two-headed president of the galaxy who just stole a really famous spaceship because the two-headed ga- president of the galaxy is also like a cad and a bit of a character. Do you think that's political satire, Joe? Mm, it's it's hard to say. Um, really hard uh, Douglas to say. Adams does write famously in this book that anybody who um, is able to get themselves elected presidents should under no circumstances be allowed to hold the office in regards to this guy. Okay. So which is a famous quote that you might've heard before and is from this book. Is it the mission? Is it the mission to save the universe? Is that kind of what it is? Or okay. is it um, like we got four <laughs> days. Let's like do the let's craziest party. drugs. And do you think space drugs are better than earth drugs or are they? Well, probably better because of the zero gravity. Right? Like, no, maybe, you can't just say zero, zero gravity, gravity, Joseph Harvey yeah. Holshue. Probably because of the solar just. pressure. <laughs> well, because like, you know, like it's the normal effects of the Don't drugs, yeah, but you're also it, floating. Asshole. Yes. So, Nick, I think one of the reasons this book is beloved is because while this book is very, very silly, it also has at its core, like, kind of philosophical questions and philosophical <laughs> ideas. All right. And what's for the, example, what's the message? Very famously, they set out to answer a question in this book. And, and like, it's actually a plot device. Scientists set out to answer a question. They build a supercomputer and they ask it, hey, supercomputer, you are the most powerful supercomputer ever created, right? And the supercomputer is like... Yeah, mostly. And they're like, can you answer the question to life, the universe and everything? Like, what is the meaning of life, the universe and everything? Oh, good. Good question. Good I question. Mean, why are we asking and the supercomputers? Yeah. <laughs> I'll ask Siri. Hey, Google, what is the meaning of life, the universe and everything? Did Google answer that question? Um, what Google said was, according to the late 20th century philosophers, Bill and Ted, life's purpose is to be excellent to each other and party on. But that's just two dudes opinion. So. It God can't even damn it, Google. Google can't even get its <laughs> pop culture references right. Google. The answer is, wait for it, Nick. Mm-hmm. Forty-two. It's, it's forty-two. 42, it is forty-two is the answer to life, the universe, and everything. And that perplexes people, and then they realize that they don't know what the question is. So then they set out to like find the question, and it's a big thing, etc. So like, there's kind of these big philosophical questions at the middle of this that are very that dealt with in a very silly way. Nick, can I talk to you about silly things that happen in this book? I suppose you really, you know, gave me a left hook with that serious, Mm -hmm. you know, question that you put forth. Can you tell me about the zany things now? Yeah, let me tell you about the zany things. So there's a spaceship in this book and it's the, it goes really fast, like improbably fast. In fact, the the engine that drives it is called the improbability drive. And the thing that propels it through space is it is able to harness the power of incredibly improbable events to propel it. So, for example, 
when Ford Prefect and Arthur Dent get thrown out of this airlock, they get captured and they get thrown out of this airlock and they have like 30 seconds to live in the void of space. And they're just in the middle of nowhere. Like they're in the middle of hyperspace, like nobody's around for light years and light years and light years. And they get picked up, which the probability of that happening is one to, according to the book, um, like one to the millionth or not millionth, one to the infinite power, like just under. Uh, infinite, okay. Right. It's very, very improbable. Okay, but. Yes. In terms of like book logic, it's very probable because they're not going to (laughs) their eyeballs (laughs) like five pages in. Okay. According to everything that I read, Douglas Adams initially wrote this for the radio and would only write one episode at a time. And all he really cared about was the cliffhangers. So when he started and he finished the first episode, it finished with Arthur and Ford getting thrown Mm -hmm, out of an mm -hmm, airlock. mm -hmm. And then he had to figure out how they were going to get rescued before the next next episode's problem. So he came up with the improbability drive. Uh, The improbability drive has weird side effects. So every time it travels, weird stuff happens. So like at one point, a pair of nuclear missiles are chasing the ship. The improbability drive kicks in and it turns that pair of nuclear missiles into a sperm whale and a bowl of petunias that hover above the planet Mm. and then splat down on. I hate this sentence. I I, I Mm -hmm. mean, just kept going. They're in space. Well, yeah. No, they're above. They're above. Okay, planet at this point, but they do die. Mm-hmm. The sperm whale and petunias Ants. both die. Yes. Um. And Ian, oh. you were talking about like cat guts. That's way bigger than a cat. Nick, I brought a very tiny game. It's a mini game. Would you like to play it? Yeah, you have many many minutes. <laughs> he said, "Joey said many, so you can go. You can take a Nick, long time." For this. this book makes it very clear what the three most intelligent animals on planet Earth are. Oh, it also ranks them. Nice. Uh, I would oh, like to yes. bounce. Can I guess between? Yes, I would like you both to guess. Oh, I'd like to bounce yes. between I love Ian this and Nick, game, Joe. the right, three most intelligent animals on Earth. Um, we'll play Family Feud style, so you will get three strikes um, between the two of you. Uh, so Family Feud style. I love uh, it. Survey says three most intelligent animals. Nick, feel free to have the first guess. Uh, I'm starting. Seems fair. You're starting. Seems fair to me. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm going to say the dolphin. The dolphin is on the board. <laughs> Nick, the God. dolphin is the second most intelligent animal on earth. Um, in fact, they try to communicate with humans and like say things to them, but they can only communicate by like jumping through hoops and like do- doing flipper stuff. Yeah. So Nick, congratulations. The dolphin is one of the three most intelligent animals on earth. Ian, another of the three. Carrots. Eh, survey says no. Uh, no, carrots are not. Ian looks so... Or, Nick looks so disappointed. I feel like I'm being pandered. I, I feel being... like I've read this book, so. <laughs> I don't think Ian remembers the third one. The, well, okay. This is all in the book. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, this most is, this most is of the, the time, Joe's games have nothing to do with this book. <laughs> That's <laughs> why fair, Nick is thrown by this. I'm really thrown. All right. I'm going to say the chimpanzee. And that is your second strike. The chimpanzee is not one of the three most intelligent animals on Earth. Ian. Jello. Oh, no, no, Nick, it's all going to fall on you. Um, No, uh, Jello is also not one of them. Nick, do you want to try to finish out the list? Yeah. Okay, you're doing a thing right now. I don't like this. (laughs) Nick, finish this out. What are the other two most intelligent animals? You've got dolphins. It is not Jello or carrots. um, carrots. Is it the gorilla? (laughs) Yeah, it's not chimpanzees, but it's definitely Well, it's one of the fucking monkeys. (laughs) 
<laughs> hey, I've got a monkey for you. How about Mankind is um, number three on okay. the list, okay. Nick. So Dolphins number two, Mankind number three, number one on the list. I don't think you're going to get. Ian, do you remember? When's the last time I don't. you don't. It was a book? long time ago. Yeah. Um, number one on the list is rats, uh, rats. lab rats oh, uh, specifically. Yes, um, yes, and yes, there's yes. kind of like a big plot device yes. and, and all that. So, oh. Nick, it's a very silly book. Like, think Monty Python silly. Oh, think like right. silly, like wacky things Arms happen. falling off. Kind of for the sake rabbits of Rabbits killing people. Ministries like of that. Funny mm-hmm. Walk. Right. Ministry of Funny Walk. Silly Walk. Silly so, Walk. Um, when I was reading it... Um, it, it, by coincidence, this last weekend, I watched the movie Everything Everywhere All oh. at Once. Have oh, you seen no, this don't movie? spoil this for me, please. I really want to watch it. Okay. Ian, have you seen this movie? Uh, no, and I'm not likely to, but I, I, I know roughly okay. what's yep. going on. It's multiverse stuff. Okay. I, I won't, I won't say anything about it, right? I, I, I won't, I won't go down this thread. Um, all I will say is I, it was an excellent movie. I think you should watch it. It reminded me in many ways of this book. Um, this is a book. I'm no longer talking about everything, everything all at once. You better not. This is a book that is very silly, but also is very like warm and has like a tremendous, like, I don't know how to say this. Like it has a tremendous, like love of humanity inside of it. I think, right? Like when they ask the question, it's humanist. Yeah. When they ask the question, like, what's the purpose of life? What's the purpose of everything? They get a silly, nonsensical answer. And along the background is like all this wacky stuff happening. And like the thing that you kind of take away from it is what's the purpose of life? Uh, Maybe doesn't matter, right? (laughs) Maybe we can't know. Maybe doesn't matter. But boy, I think you should have a nice time while you're around. I think you should have a nice adventure while you're here. Um, It's a book that I loved. It's a book that I haven't read in many years. So I was very happy to revisit this week. Um, And it's a book that I think you should definitely read. I also think you should watch the movie Everything Everywhere All at Once. Is Everything Everywhere um, uh, funny? Silly? Everything Everywhere All at Once is funny. Yes, it is a comedy. funny <laughs> nick has not seen it it is literally listed as a okay, comedy all right it is also um it is also a little silly welcome to a safe space would you like to tell me anything about your books i don't really care to hear it oh wow okay i just want to say i uh, <laughs> just want to let you know that i don't really care I want to say that I have no idea how this would be staged. Uh, my play, like, <laughs> like it's talking about stuff like, and that's fun to read, but I have no, I, I like, I like to read plays where I'm like, okay, I can see how that would go. That's why, why Shakespeare is so is cool this, because like, it's just sword fights in love, man. Like they die. Great. I've seen it. How do you make, there's a stage direction where the rhinoceros heads, which are festooned in the stage gradually become more beautiful. How do you do that? I don't know. Yeah. Flowers. It's really hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A potted plant on its head. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Joseph. Um, Nick, the one thing that I, here's, here's my safe space about this book. The plot is a lot more convoluted than I remember. Like I remember this being a pretty straightforward, like we go here, we go here, we go here, we go here. There's all sorts of weird asides. It's and, the soap opera yeah, thing. It's like, 
I, I, what you said about him writing on the on the on for the the cliffhanger is like Charles Dickens did the same thing, and there's so much convolution. Yeah. When you're writing for the cliffhanger, you will bend over backwards to make that plot work in huge scare quotes, and you go through a lot. Yeah, yeah. Douglas Adams said that um, he he actually really liked working and like being in the circles that he did, but he was on record as saying that he never actually liked writing that much. Like it, he, he's like, yeah, nah, your time is over, like my stuff. Shut up. But well, no, but God. he said, I like this. He said that, um, at one point he had to finish a book and he had to, his, his editor locked him in a hotel suite with him for three weeks and made him write. That <laughs> seems abusive. Criminal. Uh, it's not Douglas a, Adams not also a died at 49 years old. Oh no. So <laughs> no sequel. Um, okay. Uh, yeah. Ian, you lose. Um, yeah. Sounds like you're on the I side didn't see of that the rhinoceros. Coming either i think the the weird and the strange attracts me just a little bit more than the people can be convinced of anything which like i know they can't be (laughs) he's like looked around it's like lots of weird stuff happening it does sound very good though yeah it does it sounds great i really want to see it these both sound really i don't want to read ian's book i do want to see ian's play staged yeah all right lidheads um if you don't want to be a rhinoceros i guess joe and nick are capitulating Ionesco said that good men make good rhinoceroses, and I think we were seeing two <laughs> good men becoming good rhinoceri. Um, if you want to, Lidheads, if you want to resist that pesky horn growing on your forehead, if you want to not be green and, and uh, scaly. Scaly? Do rhinos have scales? They have like ar- armor. Yeah. Leather. Leathery. If you don't want to be green yeah, and leathery, like Lidheads, armor. you should head on over to our website and suggest a book. Uh, uh, request a sticker you can still do that that is available and it is free of charge um, you can be like a rhinoceros in the rhinoceri famously love stickers um, you could uh, like us uh, rate us review us on the podcast player of your choice most importantly tell a friend tell a bookish friend I had a, a wonderful uh, a comment from a, a, one of my friends one of my one of my associates who said that he told his teacher about the podcast and his teacher is a huge fan now so Keep those coming. Um, and thanks again to Seth Haller for this wonderful, funky, strange, uh, nonsensical suggestion. Thank you, Seth. Congratulations Thank to you, Seth. Marvin the Paranoid Android, um, Zaphod Beeblebrox, uh, Slartabard <laughs> Fast, and most of all, Douglas Fairbanks. Uh, this book is interspersed with actual excerpts from the fictionalized book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And this uh, passage is a famous passage that describes why hitchhikers should carry a towel with them. A towel, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy says, is about the most massively useful thing an interstellar hitchhiker can have. Partly, it has great practical value. You can wrap it around you for warmth as you bound across the cold moons of Jaglan Beta. You can lie on it on the brilliant marble-sanded beaches of Santarius V, inhaling the heady sea vapors. You can sleep under it beneath the stars which shine so redly in the desert of the world of Cacafoon. You used to sail a, mind, a mini raft down the slow, heavy river Moth, wet it for use in hand-to-hand combat, wrap it around your head to ward off noxious fumes or avoid a gaze of a ravenous bugbladder beast of trowel, such a mind-boggling stupid animal that assumes that if you can't see it, it can't see you. You can wave your towel in emergencies as a distress signal and, of course, to dry yourself off with it if it seems to be clean enough. So Nick, don't panic and carry a towel.